0: October 17th, 2018.
2: From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show
0: with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition.
2: tonight is a, is a rising star in Democratic politics. Julian Castro is here, everybody. <laughs> a really charismatic young man. He's making waves, and uh, we'll be talking to him about his new memoir and his plans for 2020. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. Canada, or as Americans know it, Plan B. <laughs> it's a country many Americans envy for its universal health care and handsome, not crazy leader. And as of today, Canada's prime minister isn't the only thing that's smoking.
0: The Maple Leaf is turning green. Starting today, Canada, our neighbor to the north, becomes one of two countries in the world to legalize marijuana for recreational use, fulfilling the campaign promise made by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Canada is now the biggest country to legalize marijuana, creating an industry worth
2: more than $4 billion. Wow, congratulations, Canada. This is great news for your economy, but it's also great news for all Canadians, because now Seth Rogen can uh, finally try weed. This is fantastic. (laughs) Honestly, I-I just assumed that that they were already high all the time up there. I mean, have you seen their horses? What the (laughs) And... and I'm happy for Canada. But I'm not gonna lie, as someone who lives in New York City, this story pisses me off. All these places are getting legal weed before us. Like, Canada doesn't need weed. New York does. (laughs) Right now, there are angry people walking around New York, screaming at each other, like, hey, I'm walking over here! (laughs) We need the weed. If the city city legalized weed, they'd be like, hey, I was, uh... (laughs) I was doing something over... I don't know. You go. You go first. You go first. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's move on to news coming out of Colorado, where weed is also legal, but unfortunately... (laughs) so is something else.
0: Next month, Colorado will vote on changing the language in its state constitution so that it no longer allows slavery as a form of punishment. Slavery is technically still legal in many states, including Colorado. Part of Colorado's constitution reads that there shall never be in this state either slavery or involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime. Amendment A on the ballot this year would change the last part to abolish slavery completely.
2: Yo, America. America is real shady. You brag about ending slavery, but then you keep it in the fine print? Like, when Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, I didn't know he was like, all persons held as slaves, our henceforth shall be freed. It's like, terms and conditions apply. Free persons may be a re punishment for crime for work. If we really need work done cheap and fast, we're gonna get the people working. That's a slick move. And finally, finally, we all love grandma's cookies. But one student in California took it a little too far. Davis police are investigating a bizarre incident that uh, allegedly happened at a high school. A male student claims he saw a
0: girl pass out cookies, saying that she had used her grandmother's ashes to bake them. Officers believe as many as nine students at Da Vinci Charter Academy High School ate the cookies, some who knew what was allegedly in them.
2: Now, I know, I know, I know you might be thinking that this is disgusting. Those kids ate the cookies knowing that there were granny ashes inside of them, but don't judge them. These are cookies, okay? You would have to be a psychopath to turn down cookies. Like, I don't know about you, but I love cookies. If you offer me cookies, I'm always gonna eat them, all right? You'll be like, but they contain ashes. Okay, but do they contain cookies? Yeah, then we're good. You, if you give me cookies and tell me that there might be dog poop inside them, I'll eat around. I'll just be like, yeah, I'll eat around the dog poop. I'll just put it on one piece. I'll be like, that's the piece of the poop. And you're like, oh, how do you know that's the piece of the poop? Good point. I might as well eat that too then. I might as well eat it all. (laughs) It's cookies. What I am worried about is, what if these grandma ash cookies are the best cookies these kids have ever had? (laughs) Then they're gonna get addicted. Then one of their other grandmas is gonna walk in the room and be like, hey boys, what are you doing? They'll be like, hello, grandmother. (laughs) All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. (laughs) The midterm elections are now just 20 days away. And one of the unfortunate byproducts of that is we're going to be seeing a lot more of this guy. And I know what you're thinking. How is it possible to see more Trump? Because, I mean, he's already on the news. He's doing rallies. He's tweeting. He shows up in my dream where I'm marrying J-Lo. But (laughs) when I lift up the veil, it's actually Trump. (laughs) And then I still go through with it because all our friends already flew out and I'm not, you know, going to like lose the deposit, I'm not happy about it. <laughs> but case in point, since just yesterday, the president has given not one, not five, but three separate interviews. And I don't know why I said it that way, but what's important <laughs> is that President Trump has been sharing his thoughts on a variety of topics, including his favorite Chinese
0: hoax, climate change. Yesterday when the Associated Press told him that scientists say it is nearing a point where this can't be reversed, Trump responded, No, no, some say that and some say differently. I mean, you have scientists on both sides of it. My uncle was a great professor at MIT for many years, Dr. John Trump, and I didn't talk to him about this particular subject, but I have a natural instinct for science.
2: Okay, okay, that's... That's interesting. Just in case you missed that, Trump says he doesn't believe in man-made climate change because his uncle was a scientist, and that means that Trump has a natural instinct for science. Now, he also says he never spoke to his uncle about climate change. He just has the science knowledge. You know, it's, it's in his blood, right? Now, I think that's cholesterol, but that's not the point. Uh, like, none of this makes any sense. Just because his uncle was good at science doesn't mean that Trump is good at science. That's not how it works. If a pilot has a heart attack, they're never like, is anyone on this plane related to a pilot? (laughs) My cousin watched that Sully movie once. All right, you land the plane! (laughs) So Trump doesn't believe in man-made climate change, and for the dumbest reason possible. But the question, the question that everyone is really after this week is, does Trump believe Saudi Arabia was behind the disappearance and likely murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi? Right? And even as the evidence continues to pile up, Trump has seemed extremely reluctant to blame Saudi Arabia. Many people have suspected that it's because of money. And it turns out that Trump also suspects that it's because of money. Don't forget, Saudi Arabia is our partner. They made the largest order in the history of our country for outside, outside of our country, mm-hmm. for, for weapons. So now people say, well, we want to have you end that order. Well. Aren't we just hurting our own country? So we want to be smart. I don't want to give up a, a $110 billion order or whatever it is. It's the largest order ever given by an outside country, okay? And I don't want to give that up. You know, say what you want about Trump, but he wears his moral bankruptcy on his sleeve. <laughs> like, he's straight up like, look, I know Saudi Arabia killed a dude, but we're all about the Benjamins, yo. <laughs> yeah, these long ties don't buy themselves, folks. <laughs> because in all honesty, other presidents have also had to make these types of calculations. But Trump is the only one who admits it. Like, I feel like if he was a doctor, he would be like, ma'am, we had to take your son off of life support. and be like, oh, no. it's because there was no hope left? No, my iPhone needed a charge, and I had this dope tweet. <laughs> dope tweet I was waiting to send. <laughs> and President Trump is so eager. He's so eager to protect his possible weapons order that not only has he said, despite evidence, that he believes Saudi Arabia's side of the story, He's also said that they are the real victims here.
0: And on the idea of trusting the Saudis, Trump said, quote, well, I think we have to find out what happened first. You know, here we go again with, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent. I don't like that. We just went through that with Justice Kavanaugh and he was innocent all the way. Are you kidding me?
2: Brett Kavanaugh, are you gonna bring Brett Kavanaugh into this? Like, I like how Trump's way of dealing with an extremely sensitive issue is to bring in another extremely sensitive issue. He's like, here to discuss school shooting, special guest speaker, Bill Cosby, everybody. Bill <laughs> Cosby. Ooh, the kids with the guns and the boom, boom, bing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, poor Supreme Court justice for life, Brett Kavanaugh. He just got finished with one giant controversy and now you're gonna drag him into another one? I mean, how, how do you feel about this, Brett?
0: I still like beer.
2: My man. <laughs> But you know what's funny is, in a way, what Trump said captures the truth. In many ways, this is like the Kavanaugh situation. Trump says he wants to find out what happened, but in reality, he's already made up his mind. And you might be saying, oh, but Trevor, how do you know that the Saudi, Arabi- the Saudi Arabians killed him? And How do you know the Saudi Arabians killed him? You're not a detective, and that's true. But my uncle was a detective.
1: <laughs>
2: so I've got it in my blood.
1: leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit paramountplus.com slash the shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount plus with Showtime annual plan offer ends July 14th subscription auto renews restrictions apply.
0: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U S that's over 15 million people by the end of this year Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt in your mouth magic of a Keebler Sandys to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So, as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandys. Welcome back to the
2: Danny Show. My guest tonight is the former mayor of San Antonio and Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for President Obama. He's written a memoir called An Unlikely Journey, Waking Up From My American Dream. Please welcome Julian Castro. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Good to be with you. This is so strange because we had your twin brother on the show, and so I feel like I met you on the show, but I haven't met you on the show.
1: <laughs> Did he use a standard line that, he, that I'm a minute uglier than he is? Is that what he says?
2: That's what he tells
0: people,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a, a, an interesting time for you to be here, for you to be coming out with this book, for you to be, I guess, involved in politics in any way, shape, or form. Um, let's start at the beginning, because that's where the book starts from, Waking Up From My American Dream. What does that mean to you? Why that title?
1: Well, to me, it means that in each generation in my family, starting with my, gr- my grandmother, who came in 1922 from Mexico as an orphan, um, we found out that it's not enough in America to just work hard and for your family to work hard, that you also needed to work to improve society. Uh, my mother became a Mexican-American civil rights activist. Uh, she ran for city council in San Antonio when she was 23 in 1971, right. tried to improve things for the community. And then my brother and I have always seen public service as a way basically to ensure that, uh, that people that grow up in tough circumstances can achieve their American dream. Um, it's also, I think, relevant today because what we see right now are young people across the country figuring out that they have a powerful voice. Right. Whether it's the March for Our Lives, students, or any number of other activists, young people are leading the way pushing us to get better against uh, an administration that is trying to take us backward.
2: You, you, were, you were part of a, an administration previously. Uh, it was beloved by many. You worked in a position at HUD, Housing and Urban Development. Um, ben Carson now has your job. <laughs> 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 when you see him now, do you go like, wow, I didn't realize how many naps I could take? Or,
1: <laughs> or are you impressed with the work he's doing? What... Right. You know, I have gotten asked more about that $31,000 dining set than any HUD housing policy question in (laughs) the last year. because he
2: bought, yeah, he bought expensive furniture. But what do you think he's, what what do you make of the job that he's doing right now? And more importantly, what do you think that job is supposed to be about?
1: Well, the job is supposed to be about making sure that folks who are poor and who are middle class have housing opportunity. I mean... People, no matter where they live in the United States, can see that the rent is going up, you know, going through the roof like right. crazy, right? And, and folks are having to, to spend more and more of their income just to pay the rent. At the same time, that department under that leadership uh, doesn't have a commitment to the mission of HUD, to expanding that opportunity. The White House wanted to cut the budget by $6 billion. It was so weird because the people that we used to fight with in Congress, the Republican Congress, you know, they actually, they were the saviors in not cutting the HUD budget by $6 billion. That's how bad it is. The people that we used to, to fight saying. with, they said, no, no, that's too much for us. You know? um, there's just not a commitment to the mission of the organization. We are at a
2: time when America is at a crossroads, 20 days away from the midterms. Everyone says that this is going to be a referendum on, on Donald Trump. When you look at voter breakdown, you know, uh, you are Julian Castro. And one of the things that people always speak to is, like, you are one of the faces that is emerging from the Democratic Party as, uh, as, as someone who represents Hispanic or Latino voters, however they represent... or however they wish to be represented. When you look at the vote numbers, though, they say in America, 55% of people who consider themselves Latino are planning to vote, which is a low number, relatively speaking. How do you think the Democratic Party and the Republicans themselves can get people out voting?
1: Well, I think that folks need to reach out to those communities where they are with the issues that matter to them, and that it can't be one or two candidates, and it can't just be folks trying to gin up registration and turnout six months before an election. There has to be a massive and sustained effort to get folks in the Hispanic community registered to vote and then to turn out to vote. Right. And, uh, and I think if that happens, not only is that better for the Latino community, better for our democracy, um, but I think that it's going to be uh, better for the party that can demonstrate that they can meet their needs. And I, I believe that's going to be the Democratic Party.
2: It's interesting... Um... <laughs> it's interesting that you've kept your name as Julian. Castro, in a time when your political opponents will obviously go after that. You know, they'll go like, oh, another Castro, Fidel Castro, the Julian coming to take your jobs. It's more of them. Are you prepared for that as something that you've actively chosen to not be like, I'm
1: Julian Castro? Well, you know, in the book, I write that in school, when I was growing up in school, even though my name is Julian, um, the teachers would call me Julian. And it wasn't until I went to college where you can kind of define yourself right. that I started to no, know it's Julian. Uh, but I was thinking the other day, uh, because I'm I'm considering running in 2020, that uh, I've always had the accent over my A in my name. Right. That I bet if I did that on the sign, that that would be the first time that anybody has run uh, for president with the accent, and accent over a letter. Oh, under, wow. Something that Not simple. being afraid to say that. Yeah, hey. something that simple, but that's who you are, and you should run as who you are. So, so let's... So let's talk
2: about that little nugget that you just slipped in there. I will be running. I, I will be, and on Tuesday, I will be running for president of the United <laughs> I States. I did not say very that, I casual. Very, I casual. that I very casual, very casual. Very casual. I do that all the time, yes, and so <laughs> then that I will be running for president of the United States. Um, 2020 is on the horizon. People are looking, going, who will represent the Democratic Party? And right now, it looks like there are 100 people in the running. Some people are concerned by this, saying that, is that not going to create an abrasive atmosphere where Democrats are destroying themselves before the race? How do you feel about that as somebody who may be considered as one of the smaller candidates in the, in the running right now? No,
1: I actually think we need that. Um, coming out of 2016, uh, warranted or not, there was a lot of bitterness. And so I believe that having 15 or 20 people running is actually going to be cathartic for the Democratic Party, where you have a whole bunch of debates... Uh, people feel like everybody had their say, mm-hmm. and they're part of the political spectrum and the party was represented. And then at the end of the day, that's going to make the eventual nominee stronger right. and more likely to defeat Donald Trump or Mike Pence or whoever it is in November 2020.
2: <laughs> you know? let me 2020. Uh, let me ask you this, then. Let me ask you this, then. If you were to get to that point, do you genuinely believe that you could go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump, understanding that there is no skeleton in his closet. Like, he is the skeleton in the closet. Like, <laughs> you realize there's not much... Like, you, 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 do you, like, do you understand the gravity of the situation? You're up against somebody who's, like, he's talking point-proof, he is the Teflon Don, nothing gets to him. What do you think you would do differently in going up against Donald Trump?
1: Well, I would say two things. That uh, First of all, if I decide to run, uh, I don't think that, that uh, you're going to beat Donald Trump by trying to be Donald Trump. Um, if... I watch a lot of boxing. If you watch boxing or sports or other things, Mm -hmm. you see that oftentimes people that are considered invincible are not beaten by somebody that has exactly the same skill set. They're beaten by somebody that has a different style. But maybe more importantly, um, it's the folks who have been hopeful and optimistic and painted a strong vision for the future that, especially as Democrats, have prevailed. You think about, in the modern era, Kennedy... Or Carter, when he ran, represented a break from scandal. Right. Or Clinton, when he ran. Or, of course, maybe the best example, Barack Obama in 2008. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that the next nominee has to be able to stand up to Donald Trump and to call him out, but also to speak directly to the American people and offer a strong, hopeful vision for the future.
2: It's going to be exciting to hey, see what happens. Thank, thank you. you so much for being Likely Journey is available now. Julian Castro, everybody.
1: The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And
0: subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.